Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to church. I'm Pastor Pete. Good on you for turning up on this hot day, the last service of 2018. Uh, what do you remember about the year? It's been a blur. It's been very quick. So here is a year in review, courtesy of one of the websites I found it in. Well, I wonder how your 2018 was. As you think about 2018, what feelings does it bring back? Nostalgia. Thankfulness. Joy. Laughter. 
or maybe bitterness, disappointment, tiredness. It's the end of the year and it's always a good time to do some reflecting, uh, looking back and help us look ahead so we can learn what's really worth living for and rejoicing in and aiming for, especially in 2019. Now to do that, we're going to get help from the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the key writers of the New Testament Bible. Apostle Paul is not just looking back on a year, not even just looking back on 10 years. He's actually looking back in the, the, the bit that Rachel read out, the last letter that he ever wrote that we have. He's looking back at about 30 years, 30 years of his life as a pastor, as an evangelist, someone who went around preaching the gospel, as a church planter, as a missionary. But I think we've got to see beyond all that. At the end of the day, Paul was just a Christian like you and me. He's looking back on 30 years as a follower of Jesus. So we're going to get help from Paul as we think about the year past and the year forward. So let me pray and let's get into it. Heavenly Father, help us to hear from your word what things matter as we look back so that we might get help to look forward, so that we might live lives that glorify Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Three points on your outlines. Firstly, let's look back with Paul. Let me read some of those verses again. 2 Timothy 4. I want to keep it open. Actually, I put it on the screen for you. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, we know from tradition that Paul, at this point, is probably um, in prison, and he's awaiting his execution. This is around 64, 65 AD. And this time, as he's writing, he's not so optimistic uh, like he was in other prison letters. So he wrote some other letters in prison, like Philippians. Um, but then he was pretty confident he'd be released. Now, not so confident. It's a different time, a different prison. Um, what happened was persecution broke out under Emperor Nero. He was a bit of a psychopath. And he blamed Christians for uh, the fire that he had started in Rome. And so from this persecution, uh, Jesus' first chief disciple, Peter, he would die by being crucified upside down, his tradition. And Paul is going to get his head chopped off. Uh, later on in chapter 4, verse 16, uh, you don't have to uh, look it up if you don't want to, but uh, let me read it out. He says, At my first defense, that is, in court, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. So there it is, Paul was facing court trial for his life and he felt completely abandoned and alone. We know also later on that it's winter time and he's cold and he wants Timothy, his young apprentice, to bring for him a jacket and some reading materials. He's lonely, he's cold, he's in prison, he's about to die. Now when you're at the end like that, you do get a sense of clarity, don't you, of what's more important. If you get a chance to to, to know you're at the end, it really does clear your mind. Um, you guys know Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple. This is Steve towards the end of his life. In 2015, after he died, there was this report of apparently Steve's final words. Let me read what he was supposed to have written. He says, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realize 
that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. Now I know when we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth, should be something that is far more important. Treasure, love your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. Sounds great, doesn't it? It's the kind of thing that you'd hope he wrote at the end of his life, except it was a hoax. Um, His final words were actually reported to be, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. Which is such a pity, isn't it? Because there was Steve Jobs, multi-gazillionaire, so successful at the end of his life. That hoax should have been his final words. Because if not then, then when? Do you see what I mean? Well, the Apostle Paul does look back, and he, unlike Steve Jobs, does have real clarity. He sees that he has been poured out, in his words, as a drink offering. That's how he describes it, as a drink offering. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 15, don't look it up, but in Numbers 15, um, we get a description of the different kinds of offerings. And the drink offering is the wine that's poured out on top of the whole burnt offering. Whereas they sacrificed and offered a bull or an animal, there was a wine offering poured on top of that. And he says the drink offering for Paul has to do with his departure. Um, His departure is referring to his death. Oops, sorry, that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah, his death. Okay, so... The time has come for my departure. So, for him, the drink offering is what's happening to him now. He's in prison, he's awaiting his death, and it's being poured out over the burnt offering, which is the whole offered animal. And probably Paul thinks that his life, his ministry, the last 30 years is the burnt offering, and this last little bit of his life is like the drink offering. His departure, the way he's going to go which he knows is going to be death and execution, is like that final sacrifice and offering. So essentially, as he looks towards his execution and his suffering, lonely, imprisoned, abandoned, he still sees it as that final seasoning to a lifetime of completely giving everything to Jesus. You want to know what Paul's life is all about? Well, it's sacrifice. It's offering. It's for Jesus. And so... You see what he says in another book he wrote. In 2 Corinthians, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, everyone has a choice. Do we, like Paul says, live for God, or do we instead live for ourselves? As you think about your life, what is your life about? Is it to hold on to as much as you can, enjoy as much as you can before you die, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow you might die? Or do you, like Paul, see it all as an offering? Even the suffering is the seasoning on that offering. Everything poured out for Jesus. As you look back on the year 2018, what would others say you've lived for? If you could 
if they could audit your year, 365 days of 2018, would they say, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have lived not for yourself, but for him who died for you and was raised again? Let's come to verse 7. I think the most stirring words. I want to be able to say this, don't you, when he says, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Um, Paul gives three images of what it means to be faithful to the end. It's boxing, running, and banking. All right? The first one is boxing, the fight. He's fought the good fight. The second word for fight there is literally the word agony. All right? Agony is the Greek word. I fought the good agony. It means what it sounds like. It's painful. It's struggle. That's the kind of fight he's talking about. The second image is running. He says, I've finished the race. The race is the word course. Okay? It's, 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 it's what's marked out for you. It's your life path. And he says he's gotten to the end of that. The third image is banking. Now, this might be a little bit surprised when he says, I've kept the faith. And you think, hang on, how's that related to banking? Well, notice it's not kept faith. It's kept the faith. The faith, when it's referred to the faith in the Bible, it means the thing that you trust in, the thing that you have faith in. In other words, it's the good news of Jesus for Paul. He sees that there's content. The good news of what Jesus has done has been entrusted to Paul like a deposit, and he's kept it. He's kept it pure. He's held on to it. He hasn't let it be damaged. That's why it's a banking image. So I want you to notice three things about the three images. Firstly, again, that there is a the faith and the race as well as the fight. It's not just faith that has a the. All right, the is in front of everything. He has fought the fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith because there is only one fight, one race, one faith. Okay, every person is different. Every follower of Jesus is different. But this reminds us that we all have the same journey. At the end of the day, we all have the same journey. I don't know if you've read the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's about, it's an allegory, okay? It's a story about a one man whose name is Christian and his journey towards the heavenly city. Now, after Christian makes it to the heavenly city, most of the um, kids' versions of Pilgrim's Progress finishes. But actually, there's lots left because then his wife and his kids also then have to make the journey, and they make the same journey. Right? Different people, different twists and turns in the journey, but it's the same journey because there is only one for every follower of Jesus. And this is important for us to know because you might think the Apostle Paul, well, he's special, right? God expected more of him than of us. He was one of those apostles. He wrote the Bible. He's very different to us. Well, you know what? He's got the same race as us. The same fight as us. Right? Has to keep the same faith as us. There's no less expected of us than of Him. We're all on the same journey as followers of Jesus. And the other thing to notice, the second thing to notice, is that endurance is the key to all of these three images. See, only at the end of His life can He say that He's fought and finished and kept. In other words, when we're talking about this fight, as I said, it's, it's like boxing. Um, it's not MMA. I don't know if you know um, mixed martial arts. 
MMA competitions generally only go for three rounds, and sometimes it happens so quickly you'll miss it. The fastest MMA bout only lasted eight seconds, and the guy was knocked out. All right, this is not MMA. This is more like a famous boxing match in 1975, arguably the most famous ever, was fought between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. It was called the Thriller in Manila, All right? And it was 14 rounds. By the end, they were so tired, they could barely hit each other. That's the kind of fight we're talking about. Endurance. What kind of a race is it? Well, it's not a sprint. It's the kind of thing that Pastor Marshall in his former life used to do. Right? Marathons. 42-kilometer things. Crazy people do that kind of stuff. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Kept the faith. Banking image. This is a nest egg, not a short-term deposit. And the key with endurance is, of course, you've got to keep going and be faithful and finish. Right? The first thing to notice was that there's only one, the, the second, endurance. Third thing to notice is it's painful. Every one of these images has the idea of pain or in that kind of thing. So remember the word for fight is agony. If you're thinking about a marathon and you've heard Pastor Marshall speak about it before because I'll never run one, so I can't tell you from experience, but... You have to push through the pain. And a long-term deposit, well, you can't enjoy it, can you? There's no short-term gains. It's long-term gains. You can't see the fruit until the end as well. So let me ask you, as you think about 2018, has your year been one of struggle and pain? Has it? Because if it has, I want to kind of tell you it's normal. It's normal. Don't be freaked out by it. But the message is, keep running. Right? Keep pushing on through the pain. Keep fighting. But don't forget as well, we're actually going to need one another in this. We're going to need one another. In uh, 2016, at the Olympics, in the 5,000 meter heats, New Zealand's Nikki, uh, her name was Nikki Hamlin. She fell and accidentally trips up the U.S.'s Abby D'Agostino. So with Nikki lying on the floor beside her or behind her, Abby, who got tripped up by Nikki, gets back on her feet and rather than get really annoyed at Nikki, running on without Nikki, what she does, she refused to con continue the race. Instead, Abby sacrifices her race and turns around to help the New Zealander who had tripped her up. Now, after the race, you get them hugging. And uh, Nikki, who was 24 years old, was quick to thank Abby, saying, that girl is the Olympic spirit right there. I went down and I was like, what's happening? Why am I on the ground? Then suddenly this hand was on my shoulder and I hear... Someone say, get up, get up, we have to finish this. And then I was like, yep, you're right. This is the Olympic Games. We have to finish this. So obviously none of them got medals. None of them got through the heats. Right? But they finished together. And that's the other thing. When it comes to the fight, the race, the deposit, you're not going to be able to do it on your own. And maybe as you look back on the year, you, you do remember people who've, offered a hand to help, who've prayed with you, who've prayed for you, and you got through often without knowing the people who've prayed for you. But one day you may see that 
how you got through was because someone did quietly pray for you in your toughest of times. In the new year, if you haven't already in the past year, or if you've kind of forgotten to, make the effort to connect. Right? Church is not just something you come to on a Sunday. At Southwest Church, is community. It's life together. Make the effort to connect. One of the best ways is to be part of a community group. So maybe make that one of your goals in 2019 if you haven't been part of one or if you've kind of dropped off in 2018. All right, so we've looked back with Paul. Up to my second point, now we're going to look forward. So look at verse number eight. Look at verse eight. Paul says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, there is an end to the fight. There is a finish line to the race. There is a cashing in of the deposit. When is that? Well, Paul says it's his, that's Jesus' appearing. Jesus is coming back, we heard a few weeks before. When he appears, that's when it ends. In Colossians chapter 3, you don't have to look it up. But Paul says there that our lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Right now, followers of Jesus, our lives are hidden from the world, sometimes from yourself. But it's actually with Christ, with Jesus at the right hand of God. But He is coming back one day, and what's hidden will be revealed. The cost and the agony is great, but remember, the reward is greater. And what's the reward? Well, he says there, it's the crown of righteousness, the crown that people get when they finish the race. The crown actually is righteousness, is probably the best way of understanding. The crown of righteousness, the crown which is righteousness, that is what we will be awarded with is that we will share in God's own perfection, God's purity, God's glory. The Bible says that the righteous will shine like stars in the universe. That'll be you and me when we finally get there, when Jesus returns. And so we need to remember, especially if the year's been hard, that it is all about perspective, isn't it? When you get to eternity, when Jesus returns, it'll bring a perspective that you may not see now. It's like climbing a high mountain and the exhilaration that you feel from the top and being able to see everything, even if it's been a hard two or three hours logging up that hill or that mountain. You see, you're not going to get to the new creation with Jesus 20, 30, 50 million years into the future because heaven is forever. And you're not going to complain 50 million years in the future about the short 60, 70, 80, 90, or even 100 years that you will have had on earth. It's all about perspective. So I kind of want to, at this point, say, just forget about looking back on the year. Think about what you would like to see when you look back on your entire life, because that's probably much more important, isn't it? 2018 is just a snapshot. Just one year. What would you like at the end, when Jesus returns, to be able to say about your whole life, however long the Lord gives you? Uh, this year we heard about the missionary John Allen Chow, who got killed as he tried to share the gospel with a people group off the coast of India. 
Now, the jury is still out whether he did the right thing, the wrong thing, or somewhere in the middle. But what we know is he modeled himself after one missionary whose name you might know called Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was 28 years old. This is in the 1950s when he, as a missionary, went to Ecuador and was killed for trying to share the good news with the natives there. And his most famous quote really throws the whole idea of what is a life worth living and what is a wasted life upside down, I think it does. Because a lot of people would say a 20-year-old, 8-year-old who had his whole life ahead of him, college graduate, young, good-looking guy, recently married, surely that was a life wasted. Shortly before his death, Jim Elliott wrote these famous words. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, it's not foolish. It's not a waste. If you're giving up what you can't keep anyway to gain something you cannot possibly lose, is that the kind of thing you want to be able to say of your life at the end of it when you look back? Well, it's 2019 almost, which means we've been in the 21st century for almost 19 years. I wonder what you think is the most famous sermon preached in the last 19 years. Believe me, it's not one of mine. On the 20th of May, the year 2000, just at the turn of the millennium, Pastor John Piper preached to 40,000 university students at a passion conference for college students. And I think this is probably at least, at least, if not the most famous sermon so far in the 21st century, possibly one of the fame, most famous. What he had said there impacted a generation of people. Now, I'm going to show you seven minutes of it, so it's reasonably long, but it's worth listening to, I think. And I hope that God speaks to you as powerfully as he did to those college students 18 years ago. Thing about this moment right now is that there 
There it is, probably the most famous sermon preached so far in the 21st century. Don't waste your life. It's easier said than done. What does it look like? What I'm going to do for the next few minutes as I finish up is to run through what I will suggest. This is not the Bible. This is a pastor talking. I'll run through life by the decades and suggest to you what it might look like for you not to waste your life. Let me start with teenagers. If you're about to go into high school for the year fives and six year, if you're a teenager, this is a time when you're searching for your identity and your independence. This is the time to find it in Jesus. Be sure of your faith. You know that God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? Just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean you are. You've got to come to Jesus yourself. Be sure of that. Ask the hard questions. There are no questions that you should not be asking. There are no doubts you, shouldn't, you should be afraid of addressing. Ask them. Be sure of your salvation. Be really sure that you're saved and find your identity in Christ. They're your teenage years. They're the, that's the time to do it. Find out who you are in Him before life hits you later on. And you also, as teenagers in high school, a lot of those who finished high school, you never had friendships like you did in high school, right? 
So use that time to impact your friends. Impact them more than they would impact you. Stand up for Jesus. Show the love of Jesus to them. Invite them to hear the gospel. How many of us came to Christ during those years? The teens, don't waste your life. What about in your 20s? Well, in your late teens, as you finish high school, in your early 20s especially, you've got a lot of free time, a lot of mobility, a lot of freedom. This is the time to read, to think, to serve, to get trained. These are your preparation years when you're learning this much. You're, you're learning from university or TAFE or wherever. It's going to grow exponentially in those years. But for a lot of Christians, their learning about Jesus just stays exactly at Sunday school level or high school level. Don't let that happen to you. This is the time to grow in your knowledge of God in your 20s. Take a year off, do Bible college. Take a, two years off to do an internship, MTS. While you're mobile, while you're single, go on missions. Serve in any way you can at church. Find out what your gifts are. Your 20s, that's the time to do it. In your late 20s, as you're coming up to 30, start applying that training. You should already be taking leadership positions, not just at your workplace, but also at church. In your 20s, get a handle of the real world. What does it mean to be a Christian and impact the world in work? Be generous with your time and money because you can, right? As you hit the workforce, you might not be earning as much as you will in 20 years, but you will also have less financial constraints. You won't generally have as much to pay off, mortgages, bills, less time constraints. In your 20s, make the most of it. In your 30s, next decade, your career is probably just taking off. For many, many Christians in their 30s, your Christian life is starting to fade away. Well, let me say to you, if you are approaching 30 or in your 30s, this is not the time to fade away. No. In your 30s, you are actually ready to begin your life's work. 30 was when Jesus started his ministry. What has all that training been about in your teens and 20s? It's for now, in your 30s. So, let me talk about church. If you're in your 30s, Find that area of passion and giftedness and serve there. Right? And if the ministry doesn't exist yet, we'll create it for you. Some of you men in your 30s should be in senior church leadership positions like eldership. What about the home? If you're married, then you're probably starting to have kids. Well, parenting young ones is part of your service and ministry. You're creating a legacy, especially... The mums, if you, if you become a stay-at-home mum, right? Your life's work doesn't get better than that. What you're doing with your kids is far more valuable than what you could be doing in the workforce. And don't let your marriage slip if you're in your 30s. You want to still be in love when the kids have grown up. So invest in that. That's also not wasting your life. If you're single, the 30s is when it gets really hard to be single. And I know that at church, especially when other people are pairing up and getting married, it's really hard. Trust in the Lord that whatever He's got for you is the best. I know that's hard, but don't let that distract you from serving Him with the mobility, time, and money that you have as a single in your 30s. What about at work? If you're in your workforce, be leaders at work. In your 30s, you start making those strides in your career. But don't just think about career advancement. Think about what is it like as a Christian in the workforce. Influence those who probably now work under you. You can probably be a manager by now, working alongside you. 
That's your 30s. Don't waste it. What about your 40s? Well, in your 40s, many people hit a midlife crisis. Not you if you're a follower of Jesus. You should just be getting warmed up. The Apostle Paul was getting going just in his 40s. All right? In your 40s, you can start really being movers and shakers in your church and community and work. You're old enough to command respect and young enough to have the energy to influence. It's actually a wonderful time in your 40s, I keep telling myself. No, it's true. You're old enough to command respect. You're young enough to still have energy to influence. So begin to model to others. You can now model to younger men and women in their teens, in their 20s, in their 30s. So take the time to be hospitable. Invest in people's lives. Mentor, train, lead. Your kids, if you have kids, are probably slightly older now. It'll free you up again, mums especially, to do some more at church. So do it. Don't waste your 40s. What about your 50s? You'll begin to be empty nesters. You'll start thinking about retirement. That's great, but don't retire from Christian life and ministry. You now have time again that you didn't have, but you also now have experience that you didn't have. If you're married, work as a team, serve as a team. You probably haven't done that for a long time. If you're single, keep going. Now you've got the life experience you can even better model to others. In your 50s, you probably have more disposable income again. So be generous with your time. Be generous with your money. Don't waste your 50s. In your 60s, next decade, you probably will retire from secular work. Well, that's great, isn't it? Because now you can be more active in church. My dad took an early retirement. He was still in his late 50s. For the last 10 years, uh, they've been part of this church, helped plant it 10 years ago. My dad preaches once a month, leads two groups or something like that. Really active, all right? And more and more so in their 60s. Now, it may not be that you're gifted to be a Bible study leader, but you know what? You probably have a home. Open your home to have Bible studies in your home. Be hospitable. Or let me give you a suggestion from my old church, a couple who are now in their 70s, but back in their 60s, about 10 years ago, um, their kids were all grown up, their grandparents already. They made it their ministry to invest in young couples, couples who had just been married, not yet had kids. They gathered about three or four couples every year, invited them over regularly to chat, to talk. Um, Elder Kirby and Susan, I think, was part of that group years ago before they had kids. Just to model, just to be hospitable, just to invest, because they could do more in their 60s to these young couples than a couple who's only five or ten years ahead could. In your 60s, don't retire. Keep going. What about in your 70s and beyond? Well, probably health is getting frail if you're still alive, but you have a significant ministry. Encouraging, writing, reading, and especially praying. You might not be very mobile, able to do lots in your 70s, 80s, 90s, but you can pray. And you're coming to the end of your journey, so start investing in the legacy of others. And don't stop until Jesus takes you home. What does it mean not to waste your life? They're just some suggestions. But as you look back on 2018, I pray that you will look forward to what kind of life you want to live. Let me finish with this quote from the missionary... C.T. Studd, you might know it. He says, Only one life till soon be passed. 
only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach a new year, help us not just to look a year in advance. Help us to look a lifetime in advance. Help us not to waste even a single moment. For Jesus' sake, amen.